The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! <laughs> My beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets banned. This is episode 49, and tonight I'm slacking again because I'm sitting in with the 42nd Street Drive-In guys to talk about Tombs of the Blind Dead. And then Betty and Durwood call in with a special review of last week's crash shoot feature, The Shrine. And finally, one of you is in trouble, deep, deep trouble. That's right, one of you is going to get publicly reamed out by me. Are you scared yet? You should be. And you're going to find out which one of you is going to get a tongue lashing right after this. All right, man, we really got to record a promo for this thing. Shouldn't we write a script for this? Nah, fuck it, man, we'll do it live. Hey, folks, this is El Goro. And this is the Cancer Man. And we are the hosts of Talk Without Rhythm. The only podcast that will not track the worm. That really doesn't explain what we do. Well, we watch two movies a week, we review them, we bullshit, and sometimes we say something funny. Yeah, but most of the time we just piss people off. Well, the American film viewing public can't handle most of what we have to say. But if you think you can, you can find us on iTunes. If you do a search for Talk Without Rhythm, you can also find us on our website, tworpodcast.blogspot.com, baby. Deuces. Hey, welcome back, my screamers, and Happy New Year, everybody. I hope everybody had a great time and got home safe and behaved yourself. And if you didn't, you took video like I told you to, goddammit. So was I the only one who saw the Green Goblin take over Times Square? Because I think just me and Brad saw that watching Anderson Cooper and Kathy Griffin because everybody else, when I bring it up, looks at me like my head fell off. But it happened, goddammit, and it was a fail of epic proportion. So if you missed it, you suck. Apparently so does Spider-Man. Because here's the thing, it actually started out okay. When it started, I was like, oh my god, this is a brilliant publicity stunt. Well, hello, all you freaks down there in Times Square. And all you freaks out in TV land. We all enjoy yourselves, because I'm taking over this party right now. 2012 is going to be the year of the Goblin. The Green Goblin! <laughs> We play a little game. <laughs> it's not quite the stroke of midnight, but I don't like to wait around, especially when there's partying to be done. So what do you say we play Drop the Ball? <laughs> See, and now up to here, I'm on board. Because, you know, the ball turns an evil green and starts coming down. Oh, no, it's going to start too soon. And all this green fog starts filling up Times Square like poisonous gas. And then we go to commercial. And then when it came back, it just turned to shit. So, to keep you informed of all the happenings, I'm launching the WWFN Worldwide Freak Network. 
going to need an anchor man. So I have chosen Anderson Cooper. <laughs> yeah! Wait, 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 wait. You need Anderson Cooper? The Green Goblin needs Anderson Cooper? Why? Do you need somebody to play Nellie Forbush in your network's production of South Pacific? Oh, please. And then Spider-Man comes in and rescues Anderson Cooper. And, you know, we forget all about the ball dropping. New Year's coming early and the poison gas filling up Times Square. And Spider-Man just comes in and, like, goes, Pleh, drops ropes on the good goblins. Like, oh, I'm trapped. It was the stupidest thing ever. And what was the greatest thing was when we cut back to Kathy Griffin, she laid into Anderson Cooper for, like, ten minutes. And he totally <laughs> I'm giving you the slow clap. I'm giving you, it's the end of every high school football movie where the guy with one leg comes out and gets a touchdown. I, I don't even know. Okay, this is, you know what, America and Globe? This is what happens when I take a day off. What? Okay, I'm trying to follow the storyline. Are you, have you been abducted by a goblin? I'm not quite, I don't really know. Because I'm just going to say it right to their faces. He was just standing here the whole time. He was no, never no, really abducted. If you think you're ever going to let this down, and don't act like putting your arm around me makes it better. It would have been some of the, the big, mo <coughs> big moments no, no, for you this year. No, doesn't make it better. I'm, I'm, I'm a little sick, so I want to Was that your integrity coming up in your, <laughs> and now it's gone. As well it should be, because that was the most important Embarrassing, probably the most expensive television debacle I have ever seen. If that's supposed to get people in to see Spider-Man, epic, epic fail because it just looked like crap. Even Spider-Man, when they finally cut to him, it's just stock footage from the show of him flying around in an empty theater. So, so stupid. So why am I talking about it? I'm not. Let's move on. So let's talk about my day today, shall we? Okay. I go to bed early last night, or try to, because this morning I have a doctor's appointment. Uh, some of you might remember a couple of weeks ago, not a couple of months ago now, I was scheduled for a sleep study because, you know, well, I've been having trouble sleeping. And the doctor, I got the results in from my doctor and I had to make an appointment to go back in with them to get fitted for one of those CPAP machines to help you breathe at night. So the appointment was at 10.30 this morning in Manhattan, so it's going to be a bit of a hike against and in the midst of the rush hour traffic. So I figure, oh gosh, I'm going to have to get up at like 7 and, you know, you know, figuring all that stuff out. So I go to bed early. I get about two hours of sleep and Mr. Brad wakes up. Oh, oh, my stomach. Oh, God, it hurts. Oh, babe. Oh. And I said, what's wrong? He's like, oh, my stomach really hurts. I feel really dizzy and queasy. Maybe I shouldn't have eaten that fistful of donuts when I got up before. Those were his words, not mine. Fistful of donuts. Didn't, didn't Clint Eastwood star in that? I don't know. Not the point right now. So he's moaning and groaning. There's nothing we can do for him. And now the cats are like, hey, there's stuff going on. Let's go, let's go bust humps for two hours. And the cats made noise for two hours, running around like crazy animals. And then by the time they settled down, remember those chorus people I told you about that live in my head that sing the music from my concert over and over again? Well, they woke up. And they start singing toast on the mountain over the hills. And every, everywhere, go tell, tell it on the mountain. I'm everybody, shut up. Bradford, shut up. Cats, shut up. Singers, shut up. Everybody, <laughs> shut up. And as a result, Patrick got zero sleep last night. Zero. So I, I go, I, I leave my appointment. Plenty of time. It's fucking freezing today. This is the first day it's been viciously cold this winter. 
and really windy, and I'm standing up on the subway platform, just feeling my lips chap and crackle and blow away in the wind. I think I lost an earlobe along the way. And I get to the doctor's office, and I check in, and I wait, and I'm waiting, 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 and I'm waiting. And then they're like, okay, you can go to the back room now. And I go to the back room, and I sit there, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait. Oh, and you know what happened then? I wait, and I wait, and I wait. And finally, this chick comes in. She's like, okay, so um, you need to be fitted for a CPAP machine, so we're going to have to schedule you for another sleep study, and it'll be on this date, and thanks for coming in. I'm like, wait a minute. You, this was an appointment for me to come in and make another appointment. She's like, uh-huh. Like, why couldn't we have done this on the phone? She's like, I don't know. So, like, let me get this straight. I got two hours of sleep to get my ass in here in the freezing cold. My lips fell off. My earlobes bouncing down Queens Boulevard. And you're telling me I didn't have to be here today at all? Fuck you. Fuck you in your, in your Christmas sweater. Christmas is over, missy. And you just ruined mine for the next 50 years. So as a result, I've had no, I've been pissy all day. Pissy Patrick, me 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 me. Such is my life. One good thing came out of all this term turmoil today. One good thing. I was walking through the Port Authority bus terminal to get to the uh, A train. So I'm coming down the stairs to leave the terminal to go outside to the street on on Ninth Avenue, and there's these revolving doors there. Also, at the bottom of the staircase are these three very, very large tourist women. I don't know where they were from, but they were not speaking English, and it was nothing that I can identify. So I'm just going to go out and say Czechoslovakian, since they're the people I tend to make fun of the most on here. So these three big, large Czechoslovakian women are giggling at the bottom of the stairs. I don't know what to say. But then all of a sudden, all three of them try to go through the revolving door at the same time. In the same part of the door. You know how the door is cut into four sections. All three of them packed into one quarter of the revolving door. Giggling the hallway. And the bitches got stuck. They broke the revolving door. Three large Czechoslovakian asshole women have plugged up the revolving door and I'm standing behind them. They can't go forward. They can't go back. They're all just pressed up with the glass like I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't speak Czechoslovakian. Click with the camera. And my only thought was, you fat bitch. I made them in my head one bad, one, one woman. So I'm like, you fat bitch. You are a fat, fat bitch. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not... Listen, I know a lot of you ladies out there are, you know, lovely women of voluptuous bodies. Larger women of lovely size. And I applaud that. I applaud you. I applaud your figure. I applaud your curl, your curves, your curls. But if you are stupid enough to be of a woman of larger size and get into a revolving door with two of your other women friends of, of large size into the same portion of the revolving door so that your ass gets stuck in it, so that your fat ass gets stuck in it, you are a fat bitch. Now, like I said, I love all my scream queens out there, but let me tell you this, a real scream, <laughs> I love scream queens of all sizes, but a real scream queen is not going to be stupid enough. I mean, can you, wait, hold on. She's not going to make it to the end of the movie if she packs into a revolving door with two of her fat friends and expects to get out alive. It's not going to happen. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Just take a moment to imagine that Jason Voorhees is chasing them. 
through Port Authority bus terminal. And these idiots get into the revolving door and get stuck. And Jason's just standing there like, really? Really? You're doing that thing where he cocks his head to the side like, should I even bother or should I just leave them here to suffocate on themselves? I mean, come on. Girl, you are not a scream queen. You are a fat bitch. That's just the way it is. And it was great. I got home. I tried to tell Mr. Brad the story. And he was like, oh, my God. They were trapped in there with no oxygen. What if one of them had to fart a queef? And I looked at him. I'm like, why is that the first thing that comes to your mind? Then I'm thinking, well, I guess they would have imploded. It just would have caused some kind of oxygen vacuum and poof, it would have gone up like that. But I said, why is that the first thing that comes to your mind? And how come your accent changes so much? When you said that, you're all like, hi, Virginia. You're all Miss Gala looking out for Tara. And then when other times it talks to me, all of a sudden you're like licking molasses out of a stump in Mississippi. I don't get it. Who are you? Probably works for the CIA. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, hey, before we go any further, I forgot all the family stuff we have to talk about. It's actually about my personal family and my Scream Queens family. First of all, let's get the blood stuff out of the way. Well, my bloodline stuff. I want to send out a huge, huge congratulations to my nephew, Brian Morrissey, who was just named to Forbes magazine's list of 30 people to, you know, they're 30 under 30, like the 30 most important people to watch under 30. So he's on their 30 under 30 list in the category of law and policy. Congratulations, Brian. Wow, someone in the family is not a complete fuck-up. Well done. We're going to cut you at the next family event. You do realize that. We're going to cut that stinky face of yours. Anyway, but seriously, it's awesome. I'm impressed. But we got other people to talk about. Someone else has done something amazing this week as I found out today as I'm recording that Haunt Cub J and his partner are celebrating their 12th anniversary together. Holy shit. 12 years. That's a long time. I mean, in gay years, that's like uh, uh, like 750 at least. So, wow. Congratulations. I'm proud of you guys. You know that's something awesome enough that I just might have to give you Scream Queen of the Week. But what's this coming across my desk now? Oh, my friend Dina, who played Sally Watkins, the streetwalker, in the Ryan Case, 1874, the show I was in over the summer. Well, she just made her TV premiere. And she's on one of those, you know, real crime dramas called Fatal Encounters, A Mother's Nightmare. And in it, they're, they're, she's the reenactor of this real-life case about a woman, this crazy bitch, who's trying to steal another woman's fetus. Unborn fetus. So if you saw that French movie, Inside, this is like Inside, but for real. And for being on television. Looking all pregnant and skanky. And trying to cut the fetus out of some other woman. Dina, you are the Scream Queen of the Week. Congratulations! Well done! Well done! You're not getting the fucking tiara. You're on TV, bitch. You can wear your fucking Emmy on your head. For all I care, bitch. But seriously, I love you. Anyway. Oh, and now the reward for the anti-Scream Queen of the Week. And I don't mean anti like any man. Let's say, let's say anti-Scream Queen of the Week. Goes to Mel. Now you see, I published on the site uh, my list of the top 10 films for 2011. And the fabulous Lynn Shay showed up in two of those titles. So I'm a friend of hers on Facebook. Not a super friend, but we occasionally, like, 
exchange haha photos and stuff. And I figured I'm gonna like break the ice with her a little bit more and say, hey Lynn, the LGBT community loves you and you're on the Scream Queens best of twice. And then Kristen commented and then Mel just started getting all snippy and being all nasty and just like dragging the whole conversation down into the cutter and embarrassing me in front of Lynn Shay. I was mortified. Mel, not cool. Now go sit in the corner with this dookie hat on your head. I don't know what a dookie hat is, but you know, you'll probably make one. Have Tom make you one. He makes things. Anyway, speaking of piles of shit, American Horror Story. Fuck you. You came on the scene all on fire. We're going to be all intense and we're going to scare the shit out of you. This is going to be the most crazy blood dripping thing. And at the end of the season, you leave me with a fucking Christmas episode. A happy Smurfy Christmas episode with the newly ghosted family all standing around their Christmas tree hanging ornaments on it. Whilst, you know, Christmas carols play in the background. Everybody hug. Fuck you. God damn this show. Thank you for wasting my time for an, another, for an entire season. I will not be back for a second season. Absolutely not after this debacle. And it's funny because while I was in the doctor's office today, because I had to go see an ENT, I'll talk to you about that later on. But they had, it was an old article of Entertainment Weekly about halfway through the season. And they were talking about like, oh, yeah, well, we've discovered, you know, fairly long that people were fascinated by the rubber man, the guy who shows up in the rubber suit and is just creepy. Nobody knows who he is. Everyone is terrified of the rubber man. The rubber man's coming to get you. And so you decided to make him... The man behind the rubber man mask to be Tate, the wimpiest, whiniest, whingiest, Bessie Pargest villain ever to grace any screen ever. I love that Corey over at Camp Blood calls him Taint. That makes me happy. Because he is a taint. Fuck you. You just set up it. It just goes to show it was typical for the whole season. Promise us something scary. Give us something wimpy or cutesy. Fuck you. You. And by the way, fuck you to Walking Dead, too. Bad move, AMC. Firing Frank Darabon because it really shows. Come on. Come on. One one good episode in, and then the rest of it was just angst and relationships and feelings. And, oh, I'm pregnant. Oh, what, should I keep my baby? Should I lose my baby? Let's take a missing child episode and stretch it out for an entire fucking season. Now, don't get me wrong. I liked Sophia, but after about three episodes, I'm like, could you just find her already, for God's sake? And I don't care about your uterus. I don't pay cable TV bills to watch you peeing on a stick in the middle of the field. Bitch. I was hoping a zombie would come and just eat that baby right out of you. Just <laughs> like an oyster. That was disgusting. I've nauseated myself. You know what? Let's move on. Okay, so I found myself overbooked this week. There's a lot of stuff came up. There's a lot of appointments and a lot of running around that I have to do. And it's all pretty serious stuff. And it's just time consuming. And I don't want to miss the deadline. So this week we're going to be having another one of those flashback episodes. Or I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I don't know what else to call them. But, you know, I'm going to be playing an excerpt of the 42nd Street Drive-In podcast where we talk about the tombs of the blind dead. And I think you'll enjoy this one. It goes a lot smoother than the black belly of the tarantula review. If you remember that one. Although Chris is just determined to rain on my parade and stamp out all fun whatsoever. Hi, I'm Chris. I suck the fun out of life. And I do it with lots of sound effects in the background. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you. 
We're very close. He's a pig. Oh, you stinky pig. Anyway. I really need to get to bed, kids. Um, next week, expect a really big episode because it's episode 50 plus it's a Friday the 13th week, which means it's part three of the Friday the 13th Extravaganza or whatever the fuck I call that thing. So... That's going to be great. We have some special guests lining up. We got some musical guests lining up. So there's lots of big things in the works. And also, the, um, there's no voicemail this week. So enjoy the visit with the 42nd Street Podcast, guys. And I'll see you on the flip side when I'm a little more lucid as opposed to just being loose. Ah! 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 That wasn't as funny as I think it is right now, which means good night, everybody. I am a terrible person. I am a terrible friend. I am a terrible host. And it just boils down to me being a terrible person. Because, Betty Durwood, I almost forgot you again. Now, listeners, Betty and Durwood, you know, the lunces of the Scream Queens Horror Podcast, they were kind enough to send me an audio review of the movie The Shrine, the crapshoot selection, for last week. They sent it to me back in... It was around Thanksgiving, and I, you know, didn't review the movie right away, and then when it finally came up, I forgot to play it, and I got a snippy, snippy, snippy Facebook update from Miss Betty, and uh, I totally deserved it. So, without any more further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Betty and Derwood. Hi, Patrick. It's Betty. And Derwood. Hooray! Calling you with a quick review of The Shrine, which you had um, suggested on the Facebook page. Thank yes. you. Uh, we liked it. Yes. It's oh, uh, Netflix Instant, at least for now. You know how they take stuff down once in a while. Yes. Um, but that way. yes, very much marketed as something that it turned out not to be. Thank you. Um, so, uh, what can we say, Darwin? It's hard to say anything about this movie without spoiling it. I know. I'm but it was true. so good. Yes. Um, <laughs> I will say that there is a very cool scene con- uh, involving a statue in the fog. Yeah. Really, really good scene. Mm-hmm. And before that, it's, it's yeah. odd. What? They, and I wasn't sure about the movie when, when this was happening. But they pull up in their car to this town in Poland. And uh, they, they get out of the car and start walking. And there's all these like little vignettes that appear before. Like they're happening just for them. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's like they walk in front of a church I... and they see an important thing. They walk oh. in front of, <laughs> I don't know, 
a guy butchering a pig. Yeah. Uh, Bleach blonde hottie yeah, butchering a pig. Kind of hot. Shirtless butcher. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, he was. <laughs> and a creepy little girl, child thing. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it moves on, and I, I guess they just needed to get all that out of the way, but... I don't know. It was interesting. It, it got better after that, yeah. Yeah, and um, we were kind of concerned at first, like, were we supposed to set it up different? Because were there supposed to be subtitles? Because yeah, we they, were lost. Yeah, no. yeah it, but it, it, you're supposed to be lost, yeah, though. Um, it it kind of adds to the alienation. Of, Absolutely, you are of, right. Of the main characters, right? Because uh, everybody's speaking Polish. Uh, whatever and yeah. you know no nobody's understanding what the hell they're talking about and um later it all becomes clear and by the end scene which is awesome that the, the <laughs> final scene is mm-hmm. great that's uh, long as that <laughs> but that's all you can say yeah they're speaking the other language but by then you don't, you don't need to know by then because no, you, you know what's going on you know exactly and what's you're kind of glad you were in the dark all the way through it yeah so all in all excellent uh everybody watch it uh, yep. while you can on netflix uh another thing we wanted to touch base on real quick was yes. dream home which you had also suggested we had seen um a trailer for that at the beginning of a cannibal movie called we are what we are uh-huh. which well you saw it yeah i saw it derwood saw the first five or seven minutes <laughs> and then he slept but i watched it all and i actually think the trailers at the beginning were probably better than the movie yeah that, okay. there was that's an art house movie three so. trailers that we take that down and dream home was one yeah. of them um so as soon as you suggested it we uh we bumped it up yeah. and watched it, it sealed the deal wow i've never seen such inventive kills in all my life i know right <laughs> so many uses for zip ties never leave home without it's a quiet little japanese lady you knew you could wow. live so long with your intestines hanging yeah, out yeah that guy got a lot of scenes for somebody that should have been dead long ago um no, you can but live no a while and it was cool how they told the girl's story um by flashback um that was very very nicely done yes uh, so it was really good. And real quick, um, just a suggestion maybe for a future crap shoot would be uh-huh. a movie we saw also at the beginning of We Are What We Are Choose. called Choose. And it looks like a, well, you said Saw. Well, yeah, it's kind of Saw-like because there's like this game where you got to choose between two things. Right. And neither is good. Right. <laughs> neither is a good choice. But it looks very interesting. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Kevin Pollack is in it. So oh, really? So it can't be all bad. I didn't know that. We love some Kevin Pollack. Yeah. Huh. All right. We'll talk to you later, Patrick. Bye. See ya. Really? Is Kevin Pollack in that film? Wow, I've not heard of this film at all. That sounds like a really interesting film, except I already reviewed it. But we already had this out on Facebook, Miss Betty. Yes, I reviewed Choose back in episode 40 during in the Hurricane Quickie section. That was like when I had to watch 850,000 movies back to back to back to back because I had nothing else to do when I was trapped by Hurricane Irene. And that was one of them. And I could tell you what I thought of it, or I can make you go back and listen. Go back and listen. So you screwed up, I screwed up. We're even now. Okay, so yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed The Shrine. I think it's a great little sleeper of a movie. And now that you pointed out that whole scene with them arriving and seeing exactly what they needed to see in every single place is kind of silly in retrospect. But then again, we needed that. Maybe they didn't need that, but we needed that as an audience member. (laughs) <laughs> or like I said, their timing is just impeccable. My goodness, you know, if they had something to hide, these people did not do a good job of hiding it. But you know, if you want to be cynical about it, I've read reviews on the interwebs that are like, uh, if they're not supposed to see what they're supposed to see in the forest, have these people heard about a fence? 
maybe an electrified fence or something. And I have to see. Well, yeah, but they're Polish, right? How do you get one one Polish person out of a tree? They're not known for their intellect. I'm kidding, Polish people. Because, you know, as I learned from Allison on Not Make Friends, I'm not here to make friends, the reality show podcast this week. Allison is of Polish descent, and she learned this week that most Polish jokes are actually Scandinavian jokes. That when settlers moved to, uh, I, I don't know, it's to, I don't know, something to do with Wisconsin or Minnesota, and uh, they're the same jokes, but they're about two different races. Forget it. Thank you so much for calling in, Betty and Durwood. I'm babbling because I'm still tired. So, um, I think it's finally time to go check out those blind dead people. Shall we? Of course we shall. Blind terror strikes fear into the hearts of innocent people. The morgue receives the victims of the blind dead. There's no escape from the blind dead. They are the Templars, devil worshippers, a death cult that has risen from their thousand-year-old tombs to begin a horrible reign of terror. Please, wait! Pop, look over there! beautiful young girl is trapped by the evil forces. No one is safe from their curse. They're coming! sound in the ancient cemetery brings the evil creatures from their tombs. The Templars perform their sadistic rites. A virgin is sacrificed in a blood ritual. who can't escape the blind dead. Coming soon from your cemetery. All right, and we're back with our first of our quadruple bill today, Tombs of the Blind Dead, 1971, also known as Mark of the Devil 4, Tombs of the Blind Dead, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with Mark of the Devil. Really? Anyway. Yes. No idea. And the uh, Return of the Evil Dead, I believe, is called Mark of the Dead 5. And that person you just heard speak is our special guest today, Patrick from Scream Queens. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing very well, Sean. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> what the fuck was that? How are you today? <laughs> 
Well, I'm not here to like... talk about the blind dead or not. <laughs> you gonna call him? Are you start calling him Booby? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yes, folks. Patrick's back, and he's here to talk about a little blind dead with us. Chris, did you? Uh, before we get into that, did you want to go ahead and do a breakdown of the first blind dead film? What do you get when you cross two ex-college lesbians, a long train ride, and a Templar burial ground? The tombs of the blind dead, of course. Betty runs into her old friend Virginia at some resort, gets invited to another resort by the apple of Virginia's eye. That would be right. And off they go. Since Betty and Roger can't take the hit that Virginia's hot to trot for him, she jumps off the train in the middle of nowhere and ends up at the ruins of the castle. She immediately strips down and settles in for the night when the place gets overrun with the mummified corpses of the Templar Knights buried just outside. Virginia manages to escape back to the train tracks and gets cut down by her pursuers. The next day, Roger and Betty decide they should go look for her and rent a few horses to do so. Once they arrive, they are met by the local sheriff, who tells them her body was found there and he thinks it has something to do with a local gang. Virginia comes back from the dead just long enough to attack Betty at work. Roger and Betty then get the idea in their head that she was the victim of the Templars thanks to a local historian, and they set off to meet the aforementioned gang to find out. A lot of the supposed plot makes little sense at this point, but there are definitely enough creepy moments throughout to make Tooth of the Blind an enjoyable film overall. Okay, well, thank you for that, Chris. Well, I thought to kick this off, Pat, that was fascinating. Yes, it was. It was very riveting, as a matter of fact. Uh, I figured... Part, when he was talking about that thing, I was like, whoa. <laughs> uh, since I've already uh, gone over filmmaker Amando de Osario's bio... Uh, and much... Why don't we just get to the end of the show at this point? Because we're not actually doing anything. Amando de Osario's. Yolanda Vega. Do you guys have her? I guess not. Never mind. Chiquita Rivera. Tell us the story again, Patrick. Okay. Uh, Patrick, I thought we'd go ahead and uh, kick this off by having you explain to everybody just who the blind dead are and how they got this way. I I should go ahead and clarify for this film only since their origins seem to change from film to film. Who are you? Patrick? Am I about to talk now because you just keep talking and talking? You ask me questions and keep talking. God. By your side, Chad. Everybody gather around. The Blind Dead. Hey. The Blind Dead was a musical group that was very popular in the early 1950s. That's all I got. No, okay. The Blind Dead. <laughs> That's more interesting than the movie. <laughs> Perhaps you remember. Perhaps you remember the hit signal. <laughs> <laughs> Look me in the sockets. <laughs> Look me in the socket going peck, 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 peck. Yeah, I don't really recall that one. Twist, though, twist. No, okay, the flying dead, according to the legend, were, uh, were a renegade order of the uh, Knights of the Templar. Correct me if I'm wrong at any point, because yes. I've seen all the four movies, and the myth... Mythology kind of goes woo, 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 depending on which one you're watching. And they worshipped Satan. <laughs> and they did bad things. <laughs> they performed rituals <laughs> that was supposed to give them eternal life or some crap like that. Like Joan Rivers? Exactly. <laughs> well, clearly they got the same eternal life that Joan Rivers got because they look about, you know, look, you know, the end results. They didn't ask for eternal youth, obviously, because they were looking a little drive and need a little moisturizing. And a shave. Some of them, yes. Um, Wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> Spanish women have mustaches, too. Okay, this is going to be completely confusing, but anyway, never mind. Where was I? 
Okay, so they perform rituals trying to achieve eternal life. I forget how they get caught. I think they get excommunicated at some point. Oh, they're holed up in this little backwater village thing. And I, would the villagers rise up against them? Is that what happened? Uh, and, uh, whatever. There's an uprising against them. They're overturned and they're, uh, they're hanged? Yes. In this one? Yes, yes, and the crowd They're hanged, and they're left for the uh, birds to peck out their eyes. Yes. You are correct, sir. Well, the... <laughs> God, look at me and suck. Go back, back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Blind Dead films always seem to be referred to as zombie movies. Uh, however, with all the Egyptian symbolism in this picture, it seemed Osario was trying to drop hints that the Templar Knights were, in fact, mummies, not zombies. Does this yeah, film not have... everything that comes back from the dead is a zombie. <laughs> well, Thank does this... you. Does this film, do you think, have more elements in common with some of the Universal Hammer Mummy movies than it does with, say, the American and Italian zombie sub- uh, subgenre, which it's constantly lumped into? Ooh. Um, I, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, this is the only one of the four films where they bite people. The Blind Dead, this is the only time that they bite people, as far as I know. And, uh, but when they find the girl, okay, I'm ahead of herself, but they said it looks ritualistic. They're not eating them. So they're not zombies. They bit them specifically for a reason. So I'd say, yeah, it's ritualistic. I'd say it leans more towards black magic, Egyptian. Okay. Thanks. Chris? Works for me. Okay. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> I'd say it's very Haber-esque with the, uh, the seti, with the old like abandoned castle. But you notice that during the flashback where they're explaining how the Templars came to be and what they did to get busted by the Vatican and all this, they're only riding up on that one wall. Uh, with the horses. Right. So, obviously, this is the only wall that's not like completely decaying and falling apart to shit. Oh, hello. It was a great location, but it did look awfully dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the entire movie, there was like 20 minutes straight of uh, the one woman just like walking around inspecting the place, inspecting the place, inspecting, okay, fine, we get it. This is a great location. Rubbing it in everybody's faces who's ever made a low-budget movie before. <laughs> but then when the guys come up there to rescue her later, they're like, they're walking the door, oh, here, look, she was right here because there's all her stuff. It's like, really? <laughs> But the entire place is completely decayed because it's hundreds of years old. But when they do the flashback sequence with the uh, the Templars riding up, they're only they only show like riding up against this one wall. It's obviously the wall that's not falling apart of the entire building. So. Well, probably because they had to show that one wall because the village wouldn't have been decayed 500 years ago. Exactly. Ah. I know. It's just like okay, you know, you put all this time and effort. You gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> Why, are you so Why are you so bitter, Chris? God, uh, I'm a decaf. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, in this film, we learn that the that mu- <laughs> we learn that munching on the lady somehow leads to eternal life. If this were true, wouldn't most lesbians be immortal then? Oh, that would be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, okay. Well, then Virginia and Betty would have been eternal because they had this whole little lesbian rendezvous thing back in. Well, no, because they have to munch on them in the ritualistic pattern. You can't just oh, go munching of- wherever. Please. Well, that's because they had a, they also had a crucifix on the wall too. If you notice during that scene, during the this other flashback. Okay, we're, we're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of lesbians, right out of the gates, oh, we get a lesbian flashback scene, which occurred between two of our main characters, whom we've just been introduced to. Ultimately, this has no bearing on the rest of the film. Should anyone be surprised? Oh, it does later in the movie. Right on, right on, but I'll bring that up when we get there. I, I got my list of notes here about things. I was like, oh, gotta bring this up. This is funny. Oh. <laughs> okay, Patrick. Okay. Okay, um, first of all, to back a little bit up, before we get introduced to the uh, the lesbian scene, 
for some reason, when they're at that pool, like it starts out with the pool where you're meeting everybody at the pool and mm-hmm. the characters being introduced. I'm sorry, that hotel they felt they were at, it just felt like a, I don't know, it was me, it felt like a swinger's place. Oh, <laughs> it did. It felt like a swinger's <laughs> resort. I don't know yeah, what they, it was. They this it big, was... beautiful beachfront property, but they have a swimming pool right next to it. It's like, what's the fucking point? You guys gonna. No, just... I have been in places in Florida that do that. Yes. Yeah. So have I. Yeah. So it's because I don't want the retirees floating off to sea. <laughs> sometimes, the, sometimes the surf is too rough. Sometimes you want the cocktail service, which you can't have at the beach. You know what I thought was funny? When she got there, she first thing she does, she drops her her. Uh, this was Betty, the uh, the harlot of the, the group. She like drops her towel and her sandals, so she doesn't get the wet. She takes a shower, uh-huh. but she's already soaking wet, and then she walks right through the shower thing with her sandals on when she sees uh, Virginia wavy door. And then as soon as, oh, hi, how's it going? Nice to meet you. It's nice to see you again, blah, blah, blah. And then she drops all her shit and jumps back into the pool. It's like, didn't you just not do that? What <laughs> <laughs> was that all about? I have no idea what that, I have, Chris, I have no idea what that was all about. <laughs> <laughs> Rewatch the movie. The whole opening sequence, when she, just before she talks to her, she's taking a shower. Uh-huh. They have like this, this little like nozzle thing like next to the uh-huh. swimming pool in case she didn't want to go in the ocean. So she's under there washing herself off. She picks up her towel. Uh, she puts her sandals on that she didn't want to get wet, but then she sloshes through the fucking shower with the sandals on that she didn't want to get wet in the first place. See, Chris she... notices these little things. That most See, people... I thought she was rinsing off to go into the pool, and she wanted to wash her feet. You know what? This is such not... <laughs> Who the fuck cares? I started off with a so point. Why take the sandals off in the first place if you're just going to walk through the water with them, and then two seconds later... Yeah, oh, never mind. Okay, lesbian scene. <laughs> no, I hadn't finished my point. The whole place feels like a swinger's lounge, for starters. And... Up until the point, even through the point, you know, the whole time until the girl chumps off the train, it feels like there is a softcore porn about to bust out at any moment. At any moment. I, I think we could take the character of Roger for that. <laughs> no, oh, please, not just come the with mood, us. the music, the way everybody's looking at each other. It, it's just weird the way it's filmed. I don't know what it is. It feels like a softcore porn is about to happen at any moment. It just doesn't. And then when the, then when the lesbian scene happens, you're like, well, that was tame. That wasn't even tough up one. But I had a great transition, though, with all these smoke coming from the uh, locomotive. You know what? I thought that, that was, was clever. That, <laughs> that was, was very clever. clever. Very dreamy. Yes, and there was no dialogue during the lesbian sequence, either. It's like, oh, look, there's a picture of somebody getting well, buried. Don't, oh, you know all lesbians, the guy. don't you know all lesbians, <laughs> all early lesbians are mimes? I, well, I thought they, communicate, they communicate through, through gestures and, and... And then pretend they're trapped behind a glass wall. And, in, and um, interpret the dance. <laughs> we need to learn about shit. Patrick... You're on a train. There might be a tickle fight. <laughs> you're on a train passing through the Spanish countryside, and you get overcome with jealousy because your roommate that you once had a sexual encounter with has brought along their new love interest. To escape uh, their endless flirting, you decide to A, lock yourself in your cabin and pout, B, ignore them and find someone else to party with, or C, jump off the train while still in motion and in the middle of nowhere and hike towards the ruins of an old castle that the locals say is cursed. Good thing they weren't on an airplane. <laughs> Actually, personally, I would go with D. Threesome. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, that seemed the simpler choice. Yes. Which I don't know. It was, it, you know, it's Spain. This, 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 the, the, the women of Spain are very emotional. They're, they're, quite, they're very close to Italy, and they all get very emotional about things like that. So, no, I, I thought it was a bit extreme, but you know what? you got to move the plot along somehow, so... They see, sure that, that's kind of the plot twist, though, because apparently Betty had like this this lesbian thing with Virginia back when they were in college or whatever. Uh-huh. But later in the movie, she said, "Oh no, I I'm not attracted to men because I had a bad experience when I was a, a young girl." We'll get to that point later. 
but she like falls on this guy's lap and oh he 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 he's it up and shit. And then she falls on his lap again. She's like, oh, not bad for her first date. Oh, I can't wait for the second one. But suddenly, wait a second, what happened? Oh, where did that come from? And she's she's oh, I'm not into guys. Hello. It's he's like, paying. So he's paying so for her trip. You know what? You can pay for my trip. That doesn't mean I'm gonna go buy suddenly. Just I know. I might, I might sit on your lap. I think I'm gonna get a couple cocktails and dinner out of it. You know. <laughs> he did this, by the way. <laughs> okay. Well, at this at this point, Virginia, played by Elena Arpin, the girl who jumped from the train, decides to spend the night in the abandoned castle, and even manages to strip naked before calling it a night. Uh, however, a dirty yes. however, she soon learns that much like Goldilocks, she's sleeping in someone else's crib. The Templar Knights begin to rise from oh, the grave. You didn't write that, did you? <laughs> I, did. I, uh, uh, no, I had my uh, daughter did, who can't spell. <laughs> uh, the Templar Knights begin to rise from their graves and start chasing her in her little skimpy outfit around the grounds of the castle. And no matter how fast she runs, the blind dead always catch up to Virginia, despite the fact that they're moving at a snail's pace. Oh, their horses are in slow motion, too. Don't forget that. <laughs> like a bionic horse. Uh, did you find this to be a problem with the film? Does it kill any suspense knowing that eventually the blind dead will corner whoever they're after at some point? Actually, it didn't hurt me here because the first time I watched it, I thought she was Survivor Girl. Yeah, they kind of pull a uh, Janet Lee with, with her character. Yeah, they did. So I was I was wondering, Jesus Christ, how are they going to get out of this? And the fact that they're moving slow didn't bother me either because... You didn't really have an idea of how many there were, and after a while, they just seemed to be coming from everywhere, and that in itself was kind of freaky. Like, where the fuck are they coming from? So, yeah, first you think there's a half a dozen, then a dozen, then an army. It's like, okay. I didn't mind that. Well, the thing that got me is she bolted the door when she first got to the uh, ruins or whatever. She uh -huh. put, like, the little deadbolt thing across there. And when the, the first time she sees that, the one is reaching to the window at her. She's like, oh, and she staggers back against the door. She's all distressed looking, and then all of a sudden, the hand pokes her in the back. Because one of the blind dead is reaching through this hole in the door, and it pulls up the deadbolt. If they're blind, how the fuck did it know that there was a hole in the door there? And plus the fact that there's a deadbolt that it can pull up, and they all just kind of like march in after. Chris, they live there. <laughs> this is their house. It's their crib. Can you find your way around your living room in the dark? After how many beers? I don't know. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if we really want to start examining the whole blind, dead aspect of the film. Yeah, uh, it seems like they're only blind when it's convenient. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then uh, that effect seems to wear off even more with the seagulls. Um, like, they get, like a good parky or something. Well, they <laughs> have supernatural vision. They don't need eyes to see. They apparently don't need muscles to move either because they're just fucking skeletons. <laughs> Uh, apparently, they're not using anything to shave with either. Uh, I do want to take a second to note that after the blind dead strike down Virginia, they do so near the same spot where she hopped off the train. The next morning, <laughs> the next morning, her body is spotted by the train conductor and his son as they're riding by again on their daily route. The son urges the father to stop the train, much like he did earlier in the film when he spotted Virginia jumping off and walking towards the castle the previous day. Both times, the father flat-out refuses, knowing the curse upon that area, and continues... Oh, hell no. <laughs> More on this later. Okay. Yeah. More Shortly, on... <laughs> Shortly after the police discover Virginia's body, Virginia's friend Betty, played by Lone Fleming, and her quasi-boyfriend Roger, Caesar Burner, head out boyfriend, to the... boyfriend, she just met the guy. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Wait, head Caesar what? What am I seizing on her? I'm Caesar not Burner her. is his name. Anyway... I'm Head out to the ruins. I'm having an easier time. Right better. <laughs> <laughs> having an easier time with these. Well, he's not even Spanish. Anyway, head out to the ruins where Virginia was last seen in an attempt to uncover what happened to her. Meanwhile, Virginia's body is taken back to the city and is placed in a morgue. 
before the lecherous mortician, is there any other kind, can inspect her more to his liking. She mysteriously comes back to life. Faceless. Oh, jeez. Did he have to go there? <laughs> she mysteriously comes back to life in a zombified state and kills him. Can someone please explain to me how this came about? We never see any other victims of the blind dead come back to life in either this film or any of the sequels. And where does this fit in the overall film? And by the way, if you haven't noticed, that's kind of a, a, a theme with me. Is where does this fit in the movie? I'm always that's always a stickler of mine. Anyway, uh, huh, Patrick. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I want to know why the hell is that light swinging? Why is that continuing to swing? That that must have had incredible inertia going on. It must have been one of those you know, like those balls, you know, those balls in the string that go click clack click clack. That ball, that was swinging for no reason and it wouldn't stop. It bothered me. I know they were going for a psycho thing. I get it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. In the morgue? In the morgue. Yeah. Drove me crazy. But the fact that she gets up, it didn't bother me at the time because this is the first one I saw. And this is the first time I'm seeing it happen. Um, okay. The fact that it doesn't happen in the other movies it doesn't bother me because not only does their, I don't know, their location keeps changing, their, their, their backstory keeps changing, whatever. I'm just weighing the first movie on the credits of the first movie. Right. I liked it. Okay. Because when she got up, I'm like, oh, damn, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> you sure it wasn't more, oh, snap. No, yeah. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> but I also, I, thought she, I also thought she was, I thought it was very nice that, you know, even though she's dead and everything, she had the decency to, like, put on a rug on the sheet to cover up her hooties. <laughs> <laughs> and her blowfish. Considering earlier on. Yeah, yeah. I love that when he says that to his assistant. Oh, if you asked me, she was asking for what she's talking about the bites. Dressed like that, it's like, well, hello. She was wearing hot pants and no underwear. <laughs> she's know, running it, around in Spain. A, running, okay? It's a different culture. I don't care. She had she had Spain on a bra. She had system. wearing a bra but no panties. She's asking for a yeast infection. She's lucky she died, which she did. <laughs> and then do that. I'm, uh. I'm just glad the frog survived. What the fuck was he doing with that frog? <laughs> Uh, that we'll never know. Chris? Yeah, what bothers me, sorry, I'm not done yet. The thing that bothers me about Please that thing with continue. the frog, too, the, the thing with the frog is the fact that this is way before, you know, uh, the ASPCA or whatever was stepping out on animal cruelty. I'm like, so that frog was probably tortured for like 17 hours. <laughs> Wait, we'll have to do another take. Wait, Wait another take. <laughs> it bothers me. I worry about that frog. The guy had it coming. He had it coming. Yeah, nothing that he did to the, the dead woman's body. <laughs> Uh, the thing that got to me about her coming back as a zombie, why does she end up at the mannequin shop later where the assistant tells Betty about it? <laughs> it's like, what? She's got, like, zombie ESP. She knows, uh-oh, there's a snitch out there. My zombie senses tingly. <laughs> well, didn't, didn't, wait a minute, hold on. Didn't, didn't Betty tell her where she worked? And that was right next to the morgue? Oh, but she's going to remember that as a zombie? Okay, I better drop it. Why not? I'm okay. Why not? She's not well, a zombie. I did. Uh -huh. Maybe she came back for real. Bitch, you did this to me. You made me jump off a train because I thought you were a lesbian and you weren't interested in guys. Maybe she was reason. coming back for love. You're only interested in rocking this. Fucking evil dead non-zombie with. with me for eternity. <laughs> Lick my pussy. <laughs> what did I say that? Is it in? <laughs> okay, well, let's move on. <laughs> After learning the whole backstory on the Templar Knights, which Patrick kind of breezed through, uh, Betty and Roger end up recruiting a local smuggler and his girlfriend to assist them in their trek back to the ancient ruins. Pedro! While, while exploring <laughs> the castle grounds. Hey, I'm Pedro!
throw. They know how to peppy. No, wait, that was another show. Forget it. Cut that out. Never mind. They're not going to know what you're talking about. While exploring the castle grounds, Betty ends up being raped by the smuggler purely for the sake of having a rape scene in there. And not the last rape scene we would see in the series, I might add. But he did offer her a cigarette afterwards. That was very gentlemanly of her. Yeah. And to top it off, after being senselessly raped, she comes, when she comes back inside, she's called a whore by the smuggler-turned-rapist girlfriend. A very uplifting <laughs> moment, for sure. Yes. Uh, I, I got this in my notes. Betty tells Roger she's not interested in Ben since she had a bad experience as a child. He beats her and rapes her as a cure that offers her a cigarette. Same creepy lesbian-themed music plays. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning of the film, with the little music box, dee, 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 dee. it's like, okay, that that's not working for me. <laughs> it's a motif. Uh, any thoughts on Osario's utterly pointless inclusion of rape into this film? <sighs> okay, well, well no, sorry about that. I, I, I don't off. know. I guess, you know, t- it was an excuse for TNA, or for a little, you know, I don't know. I can't imagine looking at the final cut of the print going, you know what this needs? <laughs> Oh, the best part. Oh, so does, uh, this so does, is great. Uh, These monsters are great, but I think he's a little rape. <laughs> well, I love it. As soon as Pedro's out the front door with Betty to go. Kids love rape. What? Kids love the rape. He's never said what they're looking for. They just wander out the front door. Come on, we better go investigate. And then, uh, and then Pedro's girlfriend is going, oh, yeah, he's going to have your girl. What, are you jealous? Are you jealous? And then she uses an excuse to go up and start smooching with him. And he's like, oh, we'd better go look for him. She's like, I thought you were jealous. I thought you were jealous. It's like, what the hell was that all about? Because <laughs> like, you're a pretty, there was pretty a boy. Don't usually do it for me, but I'll make an exception in your case. I rate. thought I... My agent told me I was going to be the one who's getting raped. <laughs> Betty, Betty, Betty. <laughs> oh, that just... Oh. Uh, but, yeah, I thought but, the whore was just like the cherry on the top there at the end. <laughs> you don't want a whore cherry. You really don't. <laughs> How does that even work? <laughs> oh, so that was a mess. You, ever, you know, back in the day when you get your appendix out and you could take it home in a jar from doctors, it's kind of like that. I don't think so, sucker. <laughs> The whole cherry. To just keep it like you know, fermented in a jar of formaldehyde on the con. I see my okay. cherry. Okay, uh, move moving along. After, now. <laughs> after the blind dead have killed Roger, Betty's rapist and Betty's rapist girlfriend, Betty flees. Betty flees <laughs> the castle with the Templar knights in pursuit. And I wouldn't say hot pursuit because the blind dead are a lot like Mrs. Butterworth and take their good sweet time. Uh, she she soon finds herself in the same field. They're not nearly as delicious, though. Skipping all kinds of good stuff. You are. You're all over the place. Blind dead get, get, get Pedro. Then Roger shoots at them. Nothing happens. Uh, the Betty, you, you forgot the cat fight. Betty and Pedro's girl get into cat fight about opening the door to save Roger, even though the Templar Knights like take forever to get anywhere because they're on slow motion horses. <laughs> does, which is why they always have to get off like a hundred yards away to walk the rest of the distance because these horses are so damn slow. <laughs> then by the time they catch up, even when uh, when uh, then uh, uh, Pedro's girlfriend, when the, the Knights are in there because Betty had to bring Roger in there to try to save him, but it didn't matter because he died anyway. She stands in the corner. Ah! Uh, it's like, bitch, move. Anything. Oh, they always do that in the old 70s movies. They always get this lady come helpless when the monsters come. So Betty is getting attacked by all the, the Templars or whatnot, and she de- injures her leg, and then she's running out to, obviously it's daylight at this point, because she's running back out to where the train comes by there, and she's on a bum leg, and she's limping on, and she's still faster than the fucking horses. <laughs> but they're in slow motion. Yes, I know, but it, she was kind of in slow motion herself. But they're supernatural. So it's like, it's like what, blind, dead, and, and limp horses? Or what the hell was that? <laughs> that was a subtitle they didn't go with. Instead, they went with Mark Dead. Blind, Mark dead, the lame horse, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, she soon finds herself in the same field where Virginia's body was found, heading towards the train tracks. 
Uh, and when you know it, here comes the train right on schedule. Conductor's son sees a wounded Betty crawling towards him, but this time ignores his father's warning and stops the train. He jumps down, races towards Betty, and begins pulling her on board as the blind dad can be seen slowly creeping up behind them. When suddenly... Keyword is slowly. <laughs> yes. When suddenly, Patrick, why don't you tell everybody what happens next? <laughs> Poor kid. <laughs> um, um, I wasn't paying attention. I, I'm trying... <laughs> I did zone on for a minute, but no, I, I uh, well, they stopped the train. Tickets, anyone? Tickets? <laughs> <laughs> she gets on the train. And the blind dead. But then dead. all the blind dead get on the train. <laughs> <laughs> and so everybody's on the train, and all the people on the train are like, ah! Ah! And everybody getting stabbed and crap, and it's just... That poor kid. There's like some oh. woman who's holding <laughs> yes. like this. There's Mother. like a three-year-old. There's like a two or three-year-old like little girl. She's being held. And, ah! Everybody's getting killed. Again, and this kid, that they kid was like, terrorized for 17 hours. Oh, this, oh, was, this was great though. <laughs> pouring blood all over this kid's head over and over, and the little kid obviously starts crying for real. It's like keep rolling, keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the blind dead pull the conductor off the train. The train suddenly starts up again by itself. No, the it goes, uh, Betty started it. Oh, no, she never. I, I just watched this like there's a brooder film again this afternoon. She never okay. touched it because she was hiding in the cold. Since I've seen it, so I'll, I'll take your word on that. No, they, they pull the uh, conductor off of there, and then suddenly the train starts moving. So I don't know if he was like slumped over the handle or whatever the deal was supposed to be with that. Mm. But whoop, it just starts taking off again. It's just this total massacre, though. I mean, it's totally I'm sorry. What noise did the train make when it took off? Did the train say "boop"? Is what she said. Choo choo! <laughs> Here comes That's the train. <laughs> and everybody on the train had to give up their seats for the blind dead because they were handicapped. <laughs> Supposedly, <laughs> for some reason, they train. Even though they could see their way around. I was going to say, if they're so blind, how do they know exactly where those seats were? <laughs> this is like me. You're sitting in my seat. Is- Keeping the door shut. Don't tell me, oh, it's their house. They know where it is. Because <laughs> she picked up a log and put it there, okay? It's not like they had, like, a, a ADF or whatever security system installed on their place. <laughs> yeah, this ending just totally took me aback because I, I was really, at this point, usually with Supernatural films, there's always, you never really quite see. It's only, like, a few select characters see the whole Supernatural aspect. But in these films, uh, these films, everybody at some point sees them uh, and that's really what kind of took me aback I mean you were kind of expecting they pull her up on the train get away but now instead they come on board they start slaughtering everybody <laughs> they couldn't find the so exit <laughs> yeah so what's the moral of the whole story kids listen to your elders the whole time we're supposed to think the conductor was this callous uncaring superstitious old fool but in reality he's right all along the moral of the story is just have the goddamn threesome and stay on the train <laughs> well the moral of the story is that the these people would have been slaughtered now, the moral Thank of the story you. is this. If you have a lesbian experience at college and you run into the bitch like 20 years later at some swingers resort, do not invite her with on your trip because she's just going to screw it up for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and make sure you don't get her sandals wet. Um, okay. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and jump into our high point, low point. We'll start with Patrick. What's your high point? Um, can you get back you to need... me? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Chris? Uh, high point, uh, the movie itself, I mean, it was very moody, very effective. I love the music to it. Uh, the effects were cool. I, I love the scene where uh, Betty is hidden. She's like the last girl left in the blind dead. Obviously can't see her, supposedly, because they're blind. But they hear her heartbeat, and it's just like the, this long moment that was going on. It's like, yes, they're going to get her. And they start like all kind of turning that direction, and they're all heading after her. Uh, I love the slow motion horses. I mean, that's very effective, except when they're oh, yeah, chasing clearly, the, 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 the 
Well, I mean, if, you know, if there's nobody else in the sea, they're not chasing after it. Okay, you see them in slow motion, it's very effective. When you yeah. see these slow motion horses, and they're supposed to be behind somebody who's running normal speed, then it's like a Betty Hill cartoon or something. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's just... <laughs> slow, slow horses, couldn't drag me away. Uh, low point, that poor kid. <laughs> okay, low point has to be that the the, uh, the zombie or the Virginia zombie coming back after uh, what should we call it? After the, the accountant or, or the uh, oh, sorry the assistant at the mannequin shop, it's like how does she know where the mannequin shop is and that this person told Betty? Oh yes, you know there's a legend about the Templars and it's like what? Get out! <laughs> well, I uh, I would hey, say was very trashy. <laughs> Chris is dead inside. Yeah. So, well, he did feel bad for the kid. Uh, I would say <laughs> it's all I would, a ruse. <laughs> I would say the high point for me was uh, easily the ending. I just was laughing through the whole sequence because it totally took me back. I really wasn't expecting the uh, this just sudden massacre right here with two minutes left in the movie. Um, we got to wrap this up. We're out of rape. <laughs> well, Especially after like twenty minutes of her of uh, Virginia exploring the castle when she first gets there. But when Roger and Betty show up go looking for her. They walk in that doorway like, oh yeah, she's been here because look, there's her sandal and everything. So wait a minute, she walked around this entire place for 20 minutes and ended up camping out by the front door exactly where she started? <laughs> oh, please. Okay, uh, my low point, I guess I'm going to say the unnecessary rape scene. Pat? Which one? <laughs> you watch your tongue, boy. I don't know why I was calling, getting ready to call oh, you I don't Pat. know why you were doing that either. We'll never do that again now, will we? <laughs> no, 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 no. I won't. No, 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 Not no. Not if you want to live to see episode 11. The high point for me was actually... <laughs> what? Not if you want to live to see episode 11. Thank you. Um, the high point for me was actually the scene in the mannequin shop. Oh, my. I love the whole thing. I just thought the way... Uh, the lighting was cool. Mannequins are fucking creepy. But you know where they got that from, don't you? No, oh, you do not so track too <laughs> Like Billy and the Tarantula. <laughs> oh, no, Chris, where did they get it from? They got it from Blood and Black Lace. And then they did something similar to that in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. I don't, for some reason, I don't care. You. It worked for me. And you know why it worked for me? <laughs> because the girl was a redhead, and redheads are awesome. And redheads love redheads because why? We're an endangered species. It's a recessive gene, and we feel the need to mate with each other just to keep prolong the species. So I was very concerned for the redhead girl. <laughs> oh, is this how you identify <laughs> The mannequins were working for me. The flashing light coming from above was working for me. That red light. The whole thing worked for me. Just in having the naked girl standing there in with the mannequins. I liked it. You can't it's take that away from me, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> so how, how mentally challenged was this girl that she couldn't unlock the door to get herself out? She somehow locked herself in there, and then she's, like, running around the It's like the only thing slower than the mannequins in that room was the Virginia zombie. And on top of that, the blind dead. Okay. Or the horses, at least. That's why they had to get off and walk so damn far every time. It's like, oh, these horses are never going to get us every time. Uh, I, I know, we'll take the train. <laughs> the anyway. Amish are beating us there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Patrick, low point. I said Patrick this time. The low point is Chris hurting my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Patrick. I didn't know you had feelings. <laughs> I only have the one left, and the weekend is coming up. <laughs> um, the low point for me... This is the low point for me in all four films, because it's the same scene in all four films. It's the flashback scene where you see the blind dead before they were blind or dead, uh, <laughs> sacrificing some random village chick. 
Right. I don't like them. There's something about them that gives me the oogies, and not in a good way. I find them uncomfortable. I find them more exploitive than the rape scene. I don't know why. Because um, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's always the same. Some girl winds up tied up. Her titty gets ripped out. I mean, not ripped, like, all of a sudden her tits are out. And they just ride around her in circles on horses for a while, terrorizing the thing until they finally stab her. And it's the same in every movie. It goes on for a really long time. And there's just the, I don't know, there's something about it that I don't like. That's probably where they made the Mark of the Devil connection. I guess, but... It's like a college hazy ritual or something. <laughs> the other thing... Except they I, don't I, usually eat your heart, but go ahead. If, if I have to pick an... This is a high point, low point. Because it's one and the same, depending. I like when you see them coming out of the graves for the first time. Yes. I enjoy that. However, if it's not me, it's the exact same footage in all four movies. Uh, definitely the second one. Okay, thank you. And possibly the fourth one. Yeah. Again, it's been three months since I've seen these, and I saw them all back-to-back, so they all kind of blur. But definitely with the second one, for sure. Okay. You want a fireside chat real quick? Sure. It's a fireside chat. Well, just too bad you're getting one. Okay. Brad doesn't like... Brad, my partner, for those of you who are listening, um, which is probably two of you by now. Uh, <laughs> hi, Matt. Uh, the... <laughs> the um, <laughs> Brad doesn't like horror movies, but he was watching this one over my shoulder, and for some reason, this one got his attention. And the thing he took away from it, and I meant, Chris, for him to do this for you at Horror Hound Weekend, he does an imitation of the blind dead. Oh, that's right. And I'm going to have to talk you through it because it's visual. What he'll do, you have to picture him. He's like a stocky, he's got little nerdy glasses on, but he'll take a blanket and he'll throw it over his head like a shroud. And then he'll walk up by and be like... <laughs> but he was fascinated by the fact that, you know, their puppet hands are completely non-animated at all. They're like wooden spoons. <laughs> Basically. So he'll just, like, walk up to you and be like, Bleh. and then his hands will come at your face, and he'll just wind up, like, poking you, and the fingers will, like, slowly bend back. He's like, I'm poking you to death. <laughs> it's funnier when you see it, but you weren't there. <laughs> does he do this often, by the way? He does, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Every morning, just after he brushes his teeth before he goes to work, he has to get up and do his blind dead impersonation. Using back scratchers for hands. Does, um, does he get better seats on the on, uh, the, the uh, train when he does this? Do yes, give up yes. Well, that, that, well, the thing is, he doesn't use But the thing is, with his fingers, it's like it's more like his fingers are like rubber hands, so they just kind of like falling in on themselves, so it's even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to send his video of this. Yes. Yeah, that'll never happen. post it up on the Facebook page. Anyway. Yeah, they yeah, love that. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for sharing that story. Uh, You're welcome. I, <laughs> well, we want to thank you for coming back on. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners where they might be able to find you? Out on uh, no, I'll tell you where you will be able to find me. Okay. Yeah, no, this is my business. Well, for certain, you will find me at www.screamqueens.com, and that's Queens with a Z. <laughs> okay, well... Thank you again, Patrick. It's been a pleasure as always. It has been a pleasure, Sean. I've enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> oh, <fuck> you. <laughs> Until I called him Pat. Uh, oh, that oh that's been forgiven. Him. That's been forgiven. That was a mistake. Chris is, <laughs> Chris is a cruel, heartless beast <laughs> with no soul who crushed my childlike joy and wonder. <laughs> okay, well, let's go ahead and, and he's move got on. stupid hair. 
<laughs> At least I have hair. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, well, let's go ahead and move on before this gets ugly. Exactly. When we come back, we'll be talking about the sequel. War. Return. <laughs> we'll be talking about the sequel, Return of the Evil Dead. Not to be confused with Return Evil Dead, too. Of my foot up your ass, Chris. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Very good. Okay, so I want to thank Sean and Chris from the 42nd Street Drive-In Podcast for having me on so that I could have this footage to share to you on a rather difficult week. And I also want to give a whole bucket full of Scream Queens love to Betty and Durwood for sending in their review of The Shrine. That was very cool. Now, if you want to be awesome like Betty and Durwood, if you have a movie that you've seen that you want to tell me about, Please, by all means, record a review. I will play it. I love it. But how do I get it to you, Patrick? How can I get in contact with you? Well, if you feel like writing it out, you can write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's Queens with a Z. Or you could give me a call at 347-767-3509. You could like me on Facebook. You could follow me on Twitter. Or or you can get in on the conversation over in the forums at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. So next time, it's the 50th anniversary. Can you believe it already? I can't believe it already. I can't believe I kept it up for this long. That's what he said. Ah, ha, ha, ha. You're so funny. Fuck you. Anyway, since it is also a Friday the 13th, I'll be covering my version of Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. And... We're going to have some special guests. I'm not sure who exactly yet, but one is definitely confirmed. I'm going to be sitting down with the sexy Mr. Scott the Seder from the Seder Sphere podcast. And we're going to be talking about the gayest horror movie ever made. And no, it's not Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. It's even gayer. We're going to have to find out until next time to discover what that is. So until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, I always love New Year's. I remember the first time I saw Dick Clark drop the ball on New Year's Eve. I hear you kids call it teabagging now. Ha! Bye. I go hunting for witches. Heads are going to roll. Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! <laughs>